1: Welcome to The Unbillable Hour, the law practice advisory podcast helping attorneys achieve more success. We're glad you can listen today on The Legal Talk Network. And today's episode is about everything. And you know it's about everything because we started talking about this in the last episode. So if you haven't heard that one, I recommend that you go ahead... Listen to that one, too. You can listen to that one after this one or before this one. And one of the cool things is that one is like the first episode we talk about kind of the challenges and the, the problems and, and the way the business model for small law firms is, is really in a difficult place. And in this episode, we get to talk about the opportunities. We, we're we taking a step back and look at the opportunities that we can all seize on as business Owners, as law firm business owners, um, that, that will really put us in great stead as the legal market changes. And of course, I am your host, Christopher Anderson, and I am an attorney with a singular passion for helping other lawyers achieve success with their law firm businesses. In the Unbillable Hour each month, we explore an area important to help you be a more profitable lawyer through growing your revenues, getting back more of your time, and or getting more professional satisfaction from your business. The Unbillable Hour is dedicated to bringing you guests each month to help you learn more about how to make your law firm business work for you instead of the other way around. Before we get started, I do want to say a thank you to our sponsors: Nexa, Solo Practice University, Scorpion, and Law Clerk. Nexa, formerly known as AnswerOne, is a leading virtual receptionist and answering service provider for law firms. Learn more by giving them a call at 800-267-9371 or online at www. Nexa.com. Solo Practice University is a great resource for solos no matter how long you've been practicing. Make sure you check out solopracticeuniversity.com and learn how to run your practice better. Scorpion crushes the standard for law firm online marketing with proven campaign strategies to get attorneys better cases from the internet. Partner with Scorpion to get an award-winning website and ROI-positive marketing programs today. Visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast. Law Clerk, where attorneys go to hire freelance lawyers. Visit lawclerk.legal to learn how to increase your productivity and your profits by working with talented freelance lawyers. Today's episode of the Unbillable Hour is Change Waves in Small Law Surf or Drown. Part two. And my guest again is Greg Garmin, and he's the CEO of Law Clerk. And we're going to drop right back into the conversation with Greg to talk about the future of the business model for small law firms and how that future is bright.
2: The old ways of measuring value, particularly through time, are no longer applicable in this world of leverage. And that same form of leverage um, can be brought to legal. So, you know, let's let's think about it. We now have ways of of measuring time, of measuring productivity. Um, the the best example of this, uh, equating to your to your car mechanic analogy, Chris, is if you look at the world of insurance defense, the insurance companies say your summary judgment motion can't take more than I'm making up a number here, like five point seven hours, based upon data. That's because they figured out a better proxy for value. Right. And they determined, yeah, the amount of time is going to equal this many dollars. And that's sort of what it takes to, to produce at the end of the day. And so, you know, to, to me, this is the evolution of acknowledging that what we do as lawyers, while it's really, really important, is has been turned into much of a commodity. You know, th- there's clearly going to be bet the company litigation that Disney and others engage in and Apple and Samsung, um, in which price is no object and the arguments are novel and cutting edge. Um, but that's not 99% illegal. 99% legal what we do, has been done before. It's been done well before. We should learn from the work. Uh, product that others and we have created, and and you know we as lawyers, we stick with the billable hour, among other reasons because we have a bit of an inflated belief that what we do is like custom and bespoke made for our client, and we forget that the largest fortunes in history, uh, modern history, have all been commodities. Um, if you think about it, you know we've 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 got. Um, vast fortunes that were created in um, in oil. We've got vast fortunes that were created in you know commodities of all form. If you think about it today, you know smartphones have small differentiations between them, but they're they're a commodity product. Some are a little more luxury based than others, but it's all the same product, and they're built at scale. And we in legal have the ability to do that, but it's going to require us to think about how we deliver our services, find ever more efficient ways to deliver our services. but at the end of the day selling a commodity over and over again into a bigger market is actually much more profitable than it is to sell a custom bespoke document one time. Um, but the, and, and that's and this is sort of I think the beginning of the how do we make the world better We can expand our markets. You know, lower the cost of the goods that we deliver by employing tools and strategies and technologies that allow us to leverage the knowledge that we have, leverage the work that we've done um, and be able to distribute it in a way that you know is 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 more than just one on one, but in a way in which you know modern media and and even to a certain extent, modern medicine are able to leverage um, their knowledge base and their and their products to become a bigger piece of the economy in a way that fits with the evolution from a, a labor-based economy to a knowledge-based economy.
1: I think it's interesting that you bring up that commodities are pro- more profitable. I mean, it, it, it's, it's axiomatic, right? You can't deny that these most successful companies in the world ever, um, from Standard Oil to the railroads to, like you said, uh, Apple with iPhones and Samsung with uh, some of their products, have, at the end of the day, delivered commoditized products to the, to the world thinking about that comment and, and thinking about it since the first time you and I talked about it um, one of the things that came to my mind was that hand in hand with that has been consolidation there's not 20 companies prov- well you know what there might be but there, there's really only a handful that I can think of providing smartphones which have been a commoditized product but that still commands a premium and the reason that they're continue to be profitable is that the consolidation allows, the companies to still command a premium how can that experience be translated into what's going to happen in law yeah so let's talk about
2: the upside and the downside of that and I, and i really think that, yeah. that we're in a favorable position on that point so doctors are an example candidly of an industry in which it didn't work in the mm. 80s you know in the 80s and the early 90s if you were a general practitioner you know i, I doctor friends of mine and their parents, they, they always said, you know, if you had an x-ray machine, you, you sent your kid to private school. And general practitioners were their own business models. Doctors were their own businesses. I think much like lawyers are today. That industry saw immense consolidation in these mega health companies. And now there are a subset of doctors who have made vast fortunes. Um, more than they ever could have imagined, but they tend to be the people, uh, men and women who've created intellectual property or they've been the, the men and women who created businesses um, that hired other doctors and they became business owners more than they did the, the the medical providers. The good news for lawyers is that under the current rules, that really can't happen in our industry. Um, the ethical rules and the conflict rules in particular are the very reason Why you know a two thousand lawyer firm you know a Kirkland and Ellis with twenty five hundred lawyers that's an immense um, collection of lawyers but twenty five hundred lawyers in a in a market of one point three six million practicing lawyers is nothing. Those rules are gonna are going to in some ways stop um, what happened in medicine to to happening in our industry, but we need to learn from it from the rest of what medicine did right um, medicine built efficiencies into the system um, medicine built a cost structure that's i don't think it does a great job but it's, it's more closely aligned with output with the value given to the patient than than the billable hour for lawyers has been and so you know like are there people out there who need custom wills and trusts? Yeah, of course there are. But can 99% of the world be based on on um on a well-produced set of documents that need some but limited customization based upon circumstances? The answer is yes. And if we can turn to a world in which you know you know the real win-win for lawyers is if we can cut the cost of legal services but at the same time, you know, leverage what we're producing. So, you know, like at Lockwork, what we talk about all the time is that if it takes a, if it's gonna take a general practitioner 10 hours to learn a subject, um, but they can go hire a freelance lawyer, pay them, you know, a a couple, you know, whatever the amount of money would be, the, the posting attorneys can actually deliver services faster with less time invested with a better quality product. And at the end of the day, it's a lot better to bill two hours at 500 bucks an hour than it is 10 hours um, at $100 an hour. And so, so, you know, getting smarter is the way to go. And, and And look, at the end of the day for our profession, the goal is keep the profit margins for lawyers or even expand them, cut the cost of legal services but by doing that, we can grow the market because, again, you know, most legal needs don't get met, and and that's what other industries do, and and the tools are being developed now for us to do that.
1: Yeah, and let's talk about that because I think that you know I think we're kind of getting to the brighter side of this conversation, um, and I really you know I'm, I'm happy to get there because it's been there the whole time. One of the dark sides of the conversation, one of the I think threats. I think I think of it as a threat to society, to the success of this experiment in, in our kind of government and our you know, the freedoms that we have. One of the keys to that is a general belief that disputes can be resolved on a level playing field where justice can be attained. And I think we're at a place at this moment as we sit where that belief is in serious jeopardy. Um, I, I forgot what I think you threw out a number of how much legal service need is out there being unserved, but how can this what we're talking about here about changing the business model turn that around? Yeah, so uh, kind of an anecdotal
2: story. No matter how sophisticated my client um, and how big you know the company I'm representing is, um, i always I always tell them up front, you know, let's just remember taking this case to trial, no matter how much. Uh, how good our victory is, um, you're never going to walk away with a sense that justice was done. That just doesn't exist in our system. People spend, you know, business people who were involved in, in litigation spend, you know, vast amounts of time for, for all practical purposes playing defense, time taken away from uh, productive things that they could do with their business to grow and evolve. Um, it's an incredibly expensive process. And, and And, you know, the reality is, is that most people have lost faith that justice gets served at the end of the day, including a lot of lawyers. Um, you know, I don't, I don't have a feeling that, um, I think the system is inherently fair, uh, I think that that I've I've certainly you know never had worries that you know that, that the rule of law isn't amongst the most valuable and important things that the United States has, um, but the cost structure is where I think that people um, lose confidence in the system. I don't think they believe that judges are on the take. I think they believe that it's a world in which um, the rules have been exploited to allow one side to drive up the costs and to and to fundamentally alter the cost benefit analysis of pursuing legal services because you're not in your own control. You know, the, the most common thing that, you know, when a client comes in the door, they ask the lawyer, how much it's going to cost. Um, the most common thing that said is I don't know because I don't know what the other side is going to
1: do. Right.
2: Um, and, 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 and so, you know, I've always believed that this, this, this growing lack of confidence we've had in the system um, is premised upon the broken economics of legal, and not so much that the system itself is broken. And I think that if we fix um, some of the broken economics, some of these you know value equals time conversations that we've been having, um, that we can actually restore some of the faith um, that, that people have in legal.
1: Yeah, and 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 by restoring the faith and the, I think it's the cost structure you said, it also can bring because I mean I think. One of the reasons that's so much – again, didn't you say something like half of, of legal service demand is not met?
2: It's somewhere between half and 80 percent, depending upon kind of yeah. the source you read. But, um, but it's, it's a huge number. I mean, a
1: huge part of that – I don't think a huge part of that unmet need is because people don't think justice is available. I think it's because they think justice is unaffordable. Um, and they just think that, that we – that the legal – that that's not for them. They can't afford that. That structure is too expensive. Um, and and you know, which is kind of ironic when you turn back around and look at what we just talked about a minute ago with that with the median income of forty nine or less than fifty thousand dollars. It's like we got. You want to talk about a recipe that's ripe for disruption? You got an unmet need on one hand, and a bunch of lawyers on the other hand who aren't even really making ends meet. Something. Is going to give, and that's what we're talking about. We are going to take a break here. Um, this is uh, Greg Garmin. He's the CEO of Law Clerk, and we are talking about basically the business model of law and how it is changing, and when whether you want to be catching that wave and surfing it to the future or drowning uh, in in the change. Um, and when we hear a word from our sponsors, and then we'll come back with Greg. Feel like your marketing efforts aren't getting you the high value cases your firm deserves? For over 15 years, Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms just like yours attract new cases and grow their practices. As a Google Premier Partner and winner of Google's Platform Innovator Award, Scorpion has the right resources and technology to aggressively market your law firm and generate better cases from the internet. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast today. Ready to create and build your own solo or small firm practice? Need a nuts and bolts education on the 360 degree experience of starting a business? There's only one online destination dedicated to helping you achieve your goals, Solo Practice University. The only online educational and professional networking community dedicated to lawyers and law students who want to go into practice for themselves. More than a thousand classes, 58 faculty and mentors. What are you waiting for? Check out solopracticeuniversity.com today. And we're back with Greg Garman. Uh, he is the CEO of Law Clerk, and we're talking about the business model of law. And anyway, we're kind of getting to the crux of, of really what gets my juices flowing, uh, which is the, you know, the the fact that 50 to 80% of the demand for legal services out there is going unmet, and that the current state of the business model uh, is to blame for it. But the bright side is, holy moly, we talked about being able to double the amount of uh, demand the double amount of uh, of output that 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 we can make it's laying there waiting for lawyers to pick that up so greg what can change about the business model to really bring those consumers back into the fold
2: you know chris before i answer that question i just want to reiterate how positive i am on legal because as we talked about yeah. earlier a million and a half of us in this profession underserving the market by by a, a factor of half produce the same output as the economy of of Ireland or Israel um, or Hong Kong. Like, this is an incredibly good place to be at the end of the day. Um, We just have to get out of the 70s and 80s from our business model. And, And so to sort of get where you were going, and the question you asked me, I really think that we need to, and I don't mean this, you know, everybody says we need to embrace technology, but there's a couple of things we need to do. There are technologies that make us more efficient. And those are important. You know, those are the things like how to get your bills out faster. Those are the things like how to manage the documents in the cloud, you know, and those are really important things. But there are two things that are critical. It is how do we fundamentally look at our business models? What technologies can help us fundamentally look at our business models and what categories of costs, not nuanced costs, I can lower, you know, I can lower this cost by two or three percent. What categories of costs can we do away with? And, you know, the great news is that it's only been in the last four or five or six years um, that companies have been focused on this sort of thing. I ask lawyers this all the time. When was the last time you started with a blank word document on your screen <laughs> you created something for a client and the answer is like nobody nobody ever remembers even doing it one time we yeah. work from a knowledge base but we work from our own knowledge base in ways that are incredibly inefficient you know it's the if you're in a firm It's like the email that goes around everybody every day. Hey, does somebody have a form for X? You kind of scratch your head and you go back into your own cases and figure out what you've done before. We have not embraced technology for a collective knowledge base the way that we could have. Um, I think that AI is beginning to do that. I think that contract automation is beginning to do that. Um, um and I think that the tools are there for lawyers to create niches for themselves, rely upon the you know the the intellectual capital that they've accumulated over time. But the mi- business model, the business model that's thriving in this world is um, specialization. And it's specialization, I think, because lawyers can produce a better product, Faster with a better profit margin um, because they know what they're doing. And general practitioners, you know, th- they are a critical part of the profession that we have. But it's becoming increasingly difficult to be able to go out and learn on your client's dime um, what it needs to be to produce a particular document for them. And 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 so technologies in which we can deliver services and and the documents that we produce faster with. The use of the commodity, you know, forms that we've created with customization. Yeah. I really think that's probably the most important thing um, that we can do. And then, and then a fundamental, a fundamental reevaluation of the cost structure. Um, I think is critical to this discussion too.
1: Yeah, and I think you know it, it, what you're talking about makes me think of Seth Godin, um, and I can't remember what book. Um, and obviously, he's talking about business in general, not about law specifically at all. Um, but but you know, even he says that you know in most businesses eighty five percent I think is the number he uses is is this commodity work that you we must drum out of the cost structure in every way we can so that we have the opportunity to deliver that fifteen percent of what we do which is art which is really the, the the that art and I think what you're talking about is even taking that a step further which is have the that everybody should find out what their art is and when a given problem or solution is outside your area of art is bring the art in.
2: Yeah. You know, I didn't, I didn't come on the show to, to, to plug law clerk, Chris, but that, that is exactly what we're attempting to teach people how to do, which is if you're a general practitioner, having an associate that's also a general practitioner doesn't give you the ability to find kind of the right cost structure to deliver all, all legal services. And so the solos and smalls who most successfully, build entire business models upon the, the the law court marketplace, what they do is they find five or six lawyers that they work with on a regular basis. They have a young lawyer to do their memos. They have a, a mid-level litigator to do the discovery. You know, they have somebody that they outsource the real estate work to because specialization leads to producing better product faster. And then the whole key is you can't pay to have these people work for you full time. And so you share them amongst the rest of the marketplace and you pay them only when you need them. And you know, the most exciting thing we ever hear is when, you know, lawyers come up to us and they say, you made me a better lawyer because I produce a better work product. Um, I get it out faster. And at the end of the day, either I was able to make more money myself or lower the cost of services to my clients. Um, and, And that's really what, Kind of drives us, and and that's why we're we're so we're so on this bandwagon of trying to help lawyers um, improve their their business models is because we've seen it firsthand how it's like a win 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 um, for the freelance lawyers for the um, attorneys who post the projects of the clients and for the clients. I, I was I was shooting a testimonial yesterday. I went down to Phoenix to visit with one of our users, and on the way out he introduced me to one of his clients and his client said to me, he said, oh, this is the CEO of Lockwork. And the client said, oh, I just love what you are doing. If you ever need me to be a sponsor or a testi- uh, do a testimonial, um, I would encourage all the cl- all the attorneys who work for me to use it, but none on the other side. Uh, <laughs> you know, he commented that, that work gets done faster which is, you know, solos and smalls are are always struggling with that. It gets done better. It gets done more economically. But at the end of the day, none of that matters unless we can find a way for attorneys um, to make as much as they do today or to make more. And that really is where we're headed.
1: Yeah, so so I think, I mean, you've put your finger on it. Like technology is going to be or is being a huge transformer uh, in in, in the ability to get the commodity work done efficiently and to bring – like, like you said, to bring that precedent work to bear um, without the cost of thinking about where it is and finding it and all those costs that really could be eliminated by great knowledge management, by good AI, uh, by good automation. Um, that's one. Two, the resort, kind of like a general contractor, but sort of the, or, or, or honestly, you know, our physicians, right? You go to a general practitioner, you know, my elbow hurts. General practitioner looks at it and oh, "Yeah, we, we need to see an orthopedic with, about this. Um, except with law, we're keeping it all in the family. like the the instead of sending someone away to another lawyer, we're actually be able to leverage resources like Law Clerk, but it doesn't have to be Law Clerk, uh, to, to find those kind of people and bring them in through the auspices of the law firm. So those are two of the things, but what about you, you mentioned before that you love what bar associations do. What's their role in helping this transformation to take place?
2: Yeah. So, you know, let's not forget that the Bar Association's primary purpose is to make sure that clients get what they expect and they aren't um, mistreated or, you know, ripped off or whatever the case may be by unscrupulous lawyers. And so, we, the greatest thing about this profession, in my opinion, is that we've really left all the fiduciary obligations intact. Our primary goal always has to be in the client's best interest. You know, that doesn't exist with stockbrokers, doesn't exist with a lot of things. So I think that bar associations have, you know, really done an admirable job of of making sure that, that we keep professionalism in the profession. But unintended consequences are everything in life. And the unintended consequences are they've made it harder or they've sort of given us the rope to hang ourselves Uh, In our precedent-based world for failing to evolve our business model, very worst outcome that could come to be is if professionals, the lawyers, the, you know, the licensed lawyers get replaced by direct-to-consumer technology. Right. Um, That's the worst outcome. And we're going to have to pick up the pace so that those technologies don't beat us to the punch. You know, the, the what do you do if you have a company that's selling directly to consumers and they're based in India? You know, where does the, you know, where does the New York bar, where does the Texas bar, how do they, how do they stop that? Um, and so, you know, bar associations, and, and I think they're doing it. I think if you just look over the last um Three months. You've seen California kind of aggressively look at at alternatives in in the committees they've put together. You have Utah last week talking about creating sandboxes to allow um, new technology companies to to um, come in and ethically provide services. Um, I think they're there. I think they move just as slowly as slowly as we as lawyers do, but I think our interests are aligned at the end of the day. But I, I do think that um, you know. Bar associations are going to have to be a little less focused on kind of the anti-competitive things that they do, like uh, you know enforcing uh, you know, pro hoc applications and making sure that unlicensed lawyers don't cross state boundaries too often and be a little more focused on giving us the ethical flexibility to fight off what I think is a much worse outcome, which is unregulated technology that doesn't have a fiduciary interest in mind at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, and uh, I think you know that's a really significant role for the bar associations. Uh, we're going to take a break here. We're talking with Greg Garman, uh, the CEO of Law Clerk, about uh, some of the solutions to help evolve the practice of law, particularly among small law firms, to better serve the unserved demand that's out there. Um, we've talked about bar associations. We talked about technology. When we come back. We're going to talk a little bit about law schools, and I'm going to ask Greg to kind of just say. Uh, What's the future business model look like to talk about that? Um, But first a word from our sponsors and then we'll uh, talk with Greg about the future. Law Clerk is where attorneys go to hire freelance lawyers. Whether you need a research memo or a complicated appellate brief, our network of freelance lawyers have every level of experience and expertise. Sign up is free and there are no monthly fees. Only pay the flat fee price you set. Use rebate code UNBILLABLE to get a $100 Amazon gift card when you complete your next project. Learn more at lawclerk.legal. If you're missing calls, appointments, and potential clients, it's time to work with Nexa Professional. More than just an answering service, Nexa's virtual receptionists are available 24-7 to schedule appointments, qualify leads, respond to emails, integrate with your firm's software, and much more. Nexa ensures your clients have the experience they deserve. Give them a call at 800-267-9371 or visit them at nexa.com forward slash podcast for a special offer. And we're back with Greg Garman, the CEO of Law Clerk. We're going to be talking now about the uh, the role. We talked about bar associates. We talked about the role of technology. We talked about how lawyers need to change the way they think about delivering service. Um, I want to talk just a little bit. I think law schools have a role to play and I want to hear about from Greg about that. And then really to do a little future casting what is what does this all look like five ten years from now but let's start with law schools greg what do you believe the law the role of law schools is in helping the legal community and helping graduates and people who've been in the marketplace for a while transition to this to this way of doing business that serves more people more profitably for the clients and more profitably for the law firms
2: yeah so I have friends who are the deans of law schools and they all quietly whisper the same thing under their breath which is there are about 22 many law schools and <laughs> I think that first and foremost law can needs to continue to get the best and the brightest and, and we've really done that for generation after generation but uh, there are schools on the bubble that need to close um, I think that it's at least a dozen. Um, Maybe a few more schools need to close and we need to make sure that schools sort of aren't artificially um, sustained um, simply because, you know, people don't want to see the academic institution in their backyard close. I, I really think that's the most important thing is to let market dynamics take a, take a play there. Um, but then again, what I really think from a curriculum perspective is that um, law schools and, and they and they really are starting to do this, but it needs to happen a little bit faster. Professors at law schools, you know, we talked about this. They tend to come from a big firm background. They tend to come from an academic background. Um, they really need to expand into sort of meaningfully preparing people to run a business because you can't serve your clients unless you're serving your own business. I mean, that's, that's your, that's your mission and motto, uh, Chris. And fundamentally, you know, I think that us either an apprentice program um, instead of sort of those last classes you take in the, your third year um, that are interesting electives, but don't sort of propel us towards, uh, you know, uh, sustainable businesses at the end of the day, uh, or, you know, really putting in finding a replacement for the informal system that used to exist, because it used to be that 90 plus percent of the lawyers who graduated went to work for another lawyer and they learned those skills on the job. and that well has dried up for a meaningful piece of our brethren. Uh, and we have to find a replacement. And either law schools have to build it into their curriculum, or I think they've been to find a way um, to allow lawyers to, to go spend a semester or even a year, um, you know, working for someone in the practice to learn those skills uh, as, as part of their education.
1: Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Because yeah, part of the aspect that's going on too, is they end up with a blind leading the blind, right? A lot of, if they're not hanging out their own shingle, they're going to work with a one or two person shop and where where that education has been lacking and it's just that the lack of education is passed on. So I think those are those are great suggestions. So so let's now just turn we've got the law schools, we've got the bar associations helping, we talked about technology and AI and knowledge management. So let's put it all together. What's the future business model? What is this all trending toward? What do you see? This is the most exciting part. Yeah. Because I really think
2: the the future business model is gonna be everybody's gonna have their own business model. This isn't a profession in which there is a one size fits all answer. Um, there are cases that are best driven on a contingency basis. Um, There will always be cases that will be best driven um, on an hourly fee basis. You know, we're seeing lawyers um, experiment with portfolio pricing, particularly in kind of the intellectual property arenas of the world. Um, I think that that one of the, the areas of law we should um, look to leadership from is kind of what these firms uh, who are engaged in employment law have done. You know, they've put together very large firms of very specialized lawyers who leverage their own knowledge base to do employer side work. I really think that if I'm, and and, and I'm not critical, but if there were one place that I would ask that the rules be expanded a little bit is to permit lawyers to experiment with more unique types of business models. Um, You know, and and, and I think that we're going to see, I think that we should see businesses that You know, if you're, if you're representing startup companies, um, I think it would be great if they could take an interest in the startup in exchange for the legal services they provide in, in, you know, aligning economic interests. Um, I think the beauty of where we should be going is that we can't even think of all the ways that business models could iterate for the benefit of clients. And, um, I, I really do think that in 10 years from now, if we've succeeded at this, there won't be a business model that took over um, and shifted away from from the Bill hour. Uh, I, I would, I hope that success is measured by this broad number of business models um, that fill in and um, fill different segments of legal. And you know that's what we're trying to do with with our company, and that's what we're trying to provide or some tools. Um, to allow lawyers to to go do it exactly as they see fit, whether it be on you know on a fixed fee basis, uh, a flat fee, uh, success fees, I think ought to become a more important um, piece of what this business is doing. Um, and and I do think that legal's best days are ahead. But the warning to lawyers is that we've got to make sure that. If we do follow the path of what happened to doctors in the 80s and 90s, that you're thinking entrepreneurial and that you're thinking of how you're going to build a business, not just a practice, but build a business in this economic world such that you don't just become an employee of kind of a legal roll-up system of a conglomerate, um, because uh, because you want to be on the right side of that equation.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like what you're saying is that I, I love what I love the theme, right? It's like there is no singular business model, but it does sound like the sort of the singular solution, if if you can define it that way, is that you're suggesting that that lawyers be empowered, law firm owners, solos, small firm owners be empowered to be entrepreneurs. And to be able to experiment without the fear of failure, you know, other than the fear that all business owners have of failure, but without the bar coming in or, or them having some sort of existential threat um, because they tried something new.
2: Yeah. The rules are really, really important. And 90% of the ethical rules um, are designed to protect the client And I think that they are of critical importance and I'm in no way suggesting that we water them down. But I do think that we need to build in flexibility for experimentation because at the end of the day, you know it's not it might not be obvious to us right now how we do improve the access to justice problem and we do expand the market to people who can't afford or are scared of hiring a lawyer and we're gonna have to let market conditions play out a little we're gonna have to, 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 to let you know free markets um, have a little more um, daylight in the table and in the conversation but I, I think that if we manage that and we do it as a profession with our fiduciary obligations, um, not only are we going to to sort of fix the problems that we have, I think our best days lie ahead of us um, for entrepreneurial, spirited lawyers. Um, I, I think it's a great day to be a lawyer,
1: but the world is going to be unrecognizable in five years. <laughs> not to put you on the spot, but you know, you did mention. You know, we've we've mentioned at every break. You know, you're the CEO of Law Clerk. But we did mention in the beginning that you actually are also running your own law firm. I am. What are you putting your mouth where your or your money where your mouth is uh, in how you run your own business?
2: I do. So
1: um, I'm not
2: going to pretend that the bulk of our work doesn't come from kind of traditional hourly paying clients. Um, it's still more than fifty percent. But I had a case uh, just this week that. Um, we resolved for a substantial success fee um, where we, we tried to align our economics with that of our client. We've concluded, we're a very busy law firm, that we've concluded that there is a maximum size of headcount that we're going to be at this firm because being bigger doesn't make us better. It doesn't make us deliver better legal services and it doesn't make us more profitable. But that rule and that idea is exactly where law clerk came to be. And so, you know, we're the heaviest, uh, we're not the heaviest, but we're one of the heaviest users of our own of our own product at Lockwork is that we outsource to freelance lawyers an immense amount of work because it's not only uh, good business for the firm, it's actually um, a good outcome for the clients. And so, um, you know, we experiment. We've experimented with kind of fixed fee and flat fee pricing of litigation to on both a successful basis and an unsuccessful basis in certain instances. Um, And, you know, the reality is we're figuring out the tricks. The tricks are, you know, the scope of services, you know, what happens in phase one, what happens in phase two. And I think that's what lawyers are going to have to do is, you know, kind of do the same thing we did, which is with our skill sets, with the practice areas that we have, what's best for us and our clients. And then what technologies can we lean upon? And we went and built one. Um, We thought the market needed a law clerk to function the the, the business model um, that we created. Um, But the reality is, is that, you know, it, it works for us. It, 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 it makes us more profitable. It makes us deliver services faster. And, you know, we, we see that it works for literally thousands and thousands and thousands of lawyers who have, who are building entire business models on that outsourcing business and, uh, and virtual associate business. You know, that, that, that really is where I think much of the future and the cost side is going to be is hiring virtual associates, either from us or from,
1: you know, similar services like us. Yeah, indeed. So I think we've done a good job here, Greg, of, you know, we, we set it up with darkness and gloom, uh, but not really. We, we just described, what we did is we described a problem. And like like you said, it's just amazing that law has managed to resist disruption for as long as it has. And then I think we've set up really the things that can change and should change and what it's going to look like. Um, and so I think we, said we we end this really with a lot of good news for our profession about how the opportunity is huge. Um, do you have any last words that you would like to say about what what, what you see as the good news or the opportunity for our profession that uh, the listeners of this show can go like, yeah, that's what I want to grab onto. That's how I'm going to surf this wave and not get buried by it.
2: Yeah, so I think we are in the most ideal situation that any profession can be in, in that I am very proud to be a lawyer. The work that lawyers do is immensely important. Um, and valuable. you know, on a daily basis, we help our clients. you know, if you're a family lawyer, you know we we help families. If you're a corporation, we help with restructurings or litigation, whatever the case may be. The work that lawyers do is really, really good. The great news is that we're this incredibly big piece of the economy, but we have the potential to double it in size. And I can't think, of another industry or another profession that has such a potential for future growth that really does important work the way that we do. So I'm proud to be a lawyer. I think it's an exciting time to be a lawyer. It's always scary when things are changing. I'm an optimist, but it's been my experience that when you when you look at other places of the economy that have been forced to change, at the end of the day, they, they turn out to be Better than the place that they came from. And I think that's what we're faced with.
1: Fantastic. Thank you, Greg. I think that's a great place to wrap this up. Our guest today and uh, for the previous episode has been Greg Garment. Uh, he's the CEO of Law Clerk, and you can find out more about him uh, at uh, his website or on Twitter. And Greg will be reading to you the uh, manner in which you can get that from him and ask more questions um, about the future of law or about uh, Law Clerk or whatever you want to ask him. It's easy to,
2: to reach us as a, as a company at lawclerk.legal, but I love to hear from people. My my email address is ggarman at lawclerk.legal, and then you can reach me on Twitter at greg underscore garman.
1: And of course, this is Christopher Anderson, and I look forward to seeing you next month with another great guest as we learn more about topics that help us build a law firm business that works for you. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at legaltalknetwork.com or on iTunes. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you again soon.
0: The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. Join us again for the next edition, right here with Legal Talk Network.